All right, guys, you are locked on Falcons. I am your host, Aaron Freeman, and today I am answering more of your listener questions dealing with the Atlanta Falcons. You are locked on Falcons, your daily podcast on the Atlanta Falcons, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. All right, guys, you know me. I've been covering the Falcons for many years at Falcons. I'm on Twitter at Falcons, and of course, I'm the host of this illustrious Locked On Falcons podcast. Today is another Q&A episode, back-to-back Q&As. We did one yesterday, got a lot of Twitter questions, got some email questions from folks, and I want to make sure that I get all these questions answered. And so instead of doing a fan talk this week, I decided let's do two Q&As, and we'll have a fan talk next week and get back to our regularly scheduled program but uh, a lot of good questions this week, and, and definitely want to get those things answered. So let's jump right into it. Uh, the first one is an email question from Andy Mave two one two four, the New Jersey Falcons fan. He has been a guest on previous fan talk episodes. His questions are: Justin Hardy is doing nothing as a punt returner. Is there anything on film that shows why? I am worried that Armstrong may be a coaching scapegoat at year's end if special teams doesn't improve, especially after focusing some attention to it in the offseason. Offense-wise, please break down the O-line. Also, see the reason why Julio wasn't involved. Was it just bad protection, not allowing the connection to be made? Seems the way, Seems that way to me more so than Hayden locking him down. How is Ortiz doing at fullback? A lot of good questions there, Andy. Um, the thing with Hardy as a punt returner is basically when you're returning punts, regardless of the level of competition, uh, you're supposed to do three basic things. First, you got to field the punt, right? Second, you got to make the first defender miss, whoever it is. You got to make him miss. And then the third thing is you got to get as many yards as possible after you make that guy miss. And so to do those three things, they require some basic skills. Uh, for, of course, fielding the punt requires good hands and concentration. Um, you know, making that first guy miss means having vision, having good lateral agility, because uh, often you have to sort of sidestep a guy, you know, one of those gunners coming down the field that's coming at, you know, screaming down the field at like 18 miles per hour. Um, and then the third thing is you got to have that burst and that acceleration to basically plant your foot and go. Um, and the problem that Justin Hardy has is he only really has the first skill, which is the hands and concentration. He doesn't have the lateral agility. He's not that good after the catch, you know, um, and he, he certainly doesn't have the speed, the burst, the acceleration to sort of make that cut. And, and basically when you're watching the film of him returning punts and this thing you'll notice when you watch the games as well, if you're paying attention to it is watch who's that first guy is there. And basically if Hardy is able to make that first guy miss, he immediately gets tackled right after that. But more often than not, he's not making that first guy miss. And so that's a sign of, of a guy who's not really getting the job done at punt return. Now, I think Marvin Hall would be a much better alternative there. Marvin Hall, in his previous instances in the preseason, the last two summers returning punts, did show all three of those skills. He certainly has the speed. I think he has the lateral agility. It's, the only question is, is the hands to the level that they need to be? And you probably get more reliable hands with Hardy, but I think it's definitely offset by the fact that, you know, instead of averaging four yards per punt return, Hall could presumably average eight, 10, 12 yards per punt return if possible. Um, 
as for Keith Armstrong being that scapegoat, I think that is definitely a possibility. It does seem like a common occurrence in this league that when you have questionable special teams play, the special teams coach is often forced to fall on the sword as far as that goes. Um, I think we'll have to sort of see how the rest of the season goes. If they have another block punt, if they get a third block punt, it's gonna, I think it's going to be tough for Armstrong to, to overcome the perception that he's not doing a good job. Even though, as I said uh, on a previous episode, I do think the coverage has been better um, this year so far. Again, it's a relatively small sample size. I say that now and then next week, you know, someone's going to take one back to the house or something like that. And then I'll be like, well, I, I thought it was better until that happened. Um, the kickoff returner has been much more productive, been the most productive, at least per return uh, this year, whether it was Ridley or Hall. Uh, since this team has had one in 2015, obviously the punt return is not up to par, but I think that's not Armstrong's fault. Well, I mean, I guess you could blame Armstrong for making the decision to put Justin Hardy on punt returns, but, um, yeah, I think, you know, the, as for the kickoff returns, I think, you know, that could be attributed to the new rules, making it easier technically, you know, based off of, again, the first five weeks of the season, the average yards per kickoff return is up slightly this year in comparison to recent years. So that may be the new rules is why the, one of the reasons why the Falcons kickoff return game is a little bit better this year. But overall, I think, you know, the Falcons are checking most of the boxes except for at punt returner and in terms of giving up those punt blocks. Um, as for your next question, you know, break down the offensive line. <laughs> they stink. <laughs> <laughs> there's your breakdown. They're not good. I don't, I don't you know, uh, we talked about this a little bit on yesterday's sh- show where I ranked sort of the guys and, and who, who might be replaced. So if you want to further break down, you know, well, that's a per- breakdown enough. But if you have specific breakdowns that you want, Andy, then I'm all ears on Twitter or email or whatever. Um, as for Julio, I think it was a combination of factors. I do think the pressure uh, there were times where Matt Ryan wanted to throw the ball to Julio Jones and couldn't because the pressure got to him too early. I thought there were times where Matt Ryan didn't pull the trigger on some throws when Julio was open, either because he didn't see him or he just didn't pull the trigger, which is a thing that happens with Matt Ryan, particularly uh, in my eyes. It seems to be a relatively com- more common occurrence in games where he's getting hit a lot. Um, you know, uh, We'll talk about that a little bit later in the show because there is a specific Matt Ryan question. I think some of it was, uh, you know, some vanilla route combinations, a little bit of a reversion, a little bit of a regression in terms of the game plan and, and whatnot, the design of the offense. Uh, I didn't necessarily look at the game and, and thought it was as creative as we've seen some of these other games where the Falcons uh, offense is, you know, over the last three games. So I think that was part of it. And I do think the Steelers coverage coverage was much better than I think a lot of us anticipated. They did a, a reasonably good job, um, you know, bracketing Julio as all teams do, but also, you know, you know, being in, in relatively good coverage position. Um, so yeah, that, that, that's how I would explain it. As for Ricky Ortiz, I think he's playing well. I think he's played his, some of his best football the last couple of games. Unfortunately, due to the numerous failures of the blocking, particularly on the offensive line in the running game, you're not necessarily seeing it reflected. There's been many a times where Ricky Ortiz nailed a block that had the offensive line maintain their blocks. 
you would have seen Coleman or Freeman burst for a big gain. And you would have seen the replay and be like, ooh, oh, look at Ricky Ortiz. Look at him clearing the hole up the middle and, and, and getting that getting that seal on the second level that led to that, you know, 15-yard runner, 20-yard runner, or maybe even more, um, particularly when Coleman's the one carrying the ball because, you know, he has the speed to take it very far. Um, and because the offensive line isn't necessarily doing that in those runs turn into like four yard gains and two yard gains, you're not necessarily seeing Ricky Ortiz shine. So I think he's doing a pretty good job. Uh, he's not perfect by any means, but you know, nobody is at this level uh, with the exception of the great Jonathan Bapp. No, I'm kidding. Uh, <laughs> but uh, yeah, I think Ortiz is doing fine. All right. We got more to come guys, but the NBA regular season is almost upon us. So make sure that you are ready and prepared by checking out the NBA side of the Locked On Podcast Network, where you can find shows such as Locked On Hawks, hosted by Brad Rowland, and many others to get you geared for tip-off next week. Check out all these shows, all part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your NBA team every day. During this tumultuous 2018 Falcons season, sometimes you have to find the balance between the highs and the lows, and now you can thanks to our newest partner, Lokai. Lokai has your back, providing you a little extra game day swag with their new game day bracelet collection. I've never really been a big bracelet guy, but now I am because of the amazing message that Lokai brings me. Their game day bracelets come in all 32 NFL team colors and hold water from Mount Everest, the highest point on earth, and mud from the Dead Sea, the lowest point. It's a daily reminder that keeps me focused during the good and bad times in my life, and now it can for you too. Since Lokai is a friend of the show, they are offering an exclusive discount of 25% off all game day collection bracelets. Trust me, guys, you want to take advantage of this deal. Head on over to Lokai.com. That's L-O-K-A-I.com. And use the promo code FALCONS25 when checking out to take advantage of this deal. Again, that promo code is FALCONS25 to get 25% off any game day collection bracelets. Guys, you got to take advantage of this amazing deal. Okay, our next question is another email question from Tyrone James, another former Fan Talk listener. Do you think Matt Ryan is good enough to put this team on his back and get a few wins while this defense is trying to figure things out? I'm not blaming Matt in any way for the Falcons being 1-4, and four, but Matt had has had the ball in his hands against the Eagles, Saints, and Bengals late in the game. In your opinion, do you think if we had one of the elite quarterbacks, Brady, Breeze, R, I'm assuming it's Russell, maybe, um, Rodgers in uh, the Eagles and Bengals game, would we have come out with a touchdown at the end of the game in the Saints game when we get at least a field goal? Again, I'm not blaming Matt. He's having a great season. This defense sucks, but I'm hoping Matt could just somehow start finding ways to get the W. Um, I mean, possibly. I think, to, to answer your question, if we had one of those elite quarterbacks, yeah, I think it, the odds would be much higher. Um, as for, you know, is Matt Ryan good enough to put this team on his back and sort of steer the ship and to, to victory? I don't necessarily think so. Uh, that's not a knock on Matt Ryan. I just think, A, I think there's a tendency for the whole notion of a quarterback putting a team on his back, I think, is much rarer than it actually didn't people perceive it to be. I just think we remember those times where a quarterback, you know, in the fourth quarter made all these clutch throws, but because you can remember it, it, it kind of indicates how rare it is because it only happens a couple of times. But then we sort of 
oh, we see a guy do it one time and we're like, oh, he does it all the time or whatever. You know, you look at Aaron Rodgers, you look at Breeze and Brady and, and all these guys. that Again, they've done it multiple times, but it's one of those things where I don't think it's necessarily, you know, it, quarterback is a part of the equation, the biggest part of the equation, but is a part of sort of the, the piece of the puzzle as opposed to sort of the guy that, you know, it's not like basketball where you can just basically like give the ball to LeBron or give the ball to uh, KD or something like that and, and, you know, win the game for us. It's not necessarily that case with quarterback. Um, but we talked about a little bit about, I guess, shared some of my other thoughts on Matt Ryan and his game when we talked in the August after Jalen Jalen Ramsey's infamous comments about Matt Ryan being overrated. So definitely go listen to that episode if you want to get some more of my thoughts on it. But I think ultimately, particularly in the late game scenarios that you've been, you mentioned Tyrone, um, the Falcons have been struggling with protection. And you see many instances where the Falcons will go empty or go shotgun and, and have one of the running backs, Coleman for the most part, uh, since Freeman has been injured in the game and whether F- F- Coleman stays in to block or go releases into the route, the problem is the Falcons are getting dominated in those in- instances. You saw that at the end of the Eagles game, they had like what, 12 plays on that final drive or in the final, uh, to, to sort of move the ball down the field. And Matt Ryan was like pressured, hit or sacked on like eight of those against the saints. There was like six of those plays, six plays on, on the final drive. And he was, you know, pressured on like four of them. It wasn't really the case against the Bengals. I think it was maybe like two out of the final 10 plays uh, where the Falcons were driving to, to score a touchdown uh, that would have put him up nine instead of five. Um, but the one one of those two plays that they gave up was the sack given up by Jake Matthews, which pushed them back to a third 19 in the red zone and, and sort of forced them to kick a field goal rather than score points. By the way, you know, you know that's the only sack that Jake Matthews has given up this year. So it shouldn't necessarily be the thing that defines his, his season by any means. Um, but even you saw against Pittsburgh where you had two series coming out of halftime where the Falcons had an opportunity to sort of get back into the game, take the lead, and the blocking wasn't great. They ran the ball, tried they tried to run the ball on those, on those plays, and the blocking was very poor on all three of those instances on those two series where they tried to run the ball. And then on the opening series in that third quarter, on that third down, Matt, Ryan Schrader got beat by T.J. Watt gave up a hit, and that sort of disrupted the throw. Uh, to be fair, though, on the second series, on that third down, Matt Ryan had a clean pocket, and he just simply missed the throw to Julio along the sideline. But generally speaking, the point I'm trying to, the picture I'm trying to paint is not 100% of the time, but certainly the majority of the time is the Falcons' pass protection has consistently sort of been failing them in some of these crunch time situations. And it's going to be really hard for a quarterback to play at a high level even a guy like Matt Ryan, who, again, one of my main critiques of Matt Ryan has been over the years that if you can get after him early in a game, it generally does a very effective job of taking him out of his game. And he doesn't necessarily really rally uh, in those games. You, you see him get a little bit more of happy feet. You see the clock in his head gets tends to get sped up and he starts missing throws that he generally makes and whatnot. And I think you saw that in week one where his poor performance against Philadelphia. I think you saw that this past Sunday against Pittsburgh and, and why one of, one of his lesser games after three really strong performances uh, at home and then to see him struggle so much on the road. Um, yeah, I think that that's been a problem. Um, so, you know, again, 
I don't necessarily see Matt Ryan as a guy that's going to necessarily put the team on his back and, and single-handedly go out there and win the game and make those big-time throws in the fourth quarter that, you know, he can do that. He's shown he has an ability to do that, but that's just not something that he does on a consistent basis. You even look at all his fourth-quarter comebacks and his game-winning drives. For the most part, most of those games are, you know, like probably 80 to 85 percent of those times where he's done that were games where the Falcons were in firm control of the game, uh, certainly in the first half and going. And then they would what typically would happen, particularly in the Mike Smith years, is they would blow their lead in the third quarter. As you guys well know, how terrible the Falcons were in the third quarters uh, for many, many years and then regain it in the fourth quarter. Um, And that would be, quote unquote, their comeback where basically for three quarters of the game, the Falcons were in firm control of the game. It's just that one quarter happened to come at a time where it would qualify for a fourth quarter comeback. Um, and then a lot of his game-winning drives tend to be more of driving down the field to put the team in field goal position and let Matt Bryant hit the game winner than necessarily as many instances where we, they have to drive you know, the length of the field and score a touchdown. Um, so that's not really what Matt Ryan does. Uh, you know, that's not a knock on him. That's just what he is. I mean, again, you know, people spend way too much energy and time, in my opinion, worrying about what the perception of Matt Ryan is, good or bad, in this regard. He just, you know, after 10 years, at this point, you should be like, yeah, he's our guy. He's got, he's, he's got a lot of strengths, more strengths than weaknesses, but some of the weaknesses are there and you just have to live with them and you have to find ways to, adapt and overcome and right now I think the the quote-unquote biggest weakness of Matt Ryan is if you hit him um he, he tends not to say he goes into a shell but he goes into a shell a little bit and you know that's not Matt Ryan's fault a lot of quarterbacks are that way you know generally if you you try to get hit by 280 pound human beings and and see what your mental <laughs> state is after that, you know? So like, you know, it's not a question of Matt Ryan's toughness by any means, but it's one of those things where it is what it is. And that's why it's, it's going to be important. I think for the Falcons to really bolster their offensive line, they've sort of taken it for granted that these guys have been good enough or, or more than good enough these last couple of years. And, and that is no longer the case. And we'll have to sort of see if things get turned around this season or, or what we've seen over the first five games with the exception of the Carolina game where the offensive line play was really good. But other than that, it's been pretty poor in the other four games this year. So um, we'll have to see if that continues. Now, still more questions to come, and the Falcons season might be doomed, but that doesn't mean your fantasy season has to be. Check out both fantasy shows on the Locked On Podcast Network. First up, you've got Locked On Fantasy Football 24-7 to get all the latest injury news and updates from around the league. And follow that up with Locked On Fantasy Football with host Vinny Iyer bringing you a different expert from around the fantasy world every day. Get them both wherever you get your Locked On podcasts, your fantasy team every day. Chris Clark at Irv Gotti asks, what is the one O-line position you would like to replace in 2019? Um, well, for me, you know, we'll see. Again, this is something, you know, we, we still got 11 more games left, and I, I reserve the right to change my opinion right now. But if I, if, if I had to pick one right now, I'd probably go with an interior guy. The, the guards sort of have been the apple of my eye the last couple of drafts. I went at Isaiah Wynn this past year. I went at Forrest Lamp the year before, Cody Whitehair in 2016. So I've been sort of coveting 
uh, the Falcons using a first or second round pick on an, on an interior offensive lineman for the past, really in going back to 2015 with Jake Fisher, although based off of how Fisher has performed in his career, that was certainly a bullet successfully dodged uh, in that regard. But um, basically I've been wanting the Falcons to get a good quality guard upgrade on the interior um, where you can have that guy sort of be, you know, allow, give Matt Ryan the space to have a clean pocket to step up in into, but offensive tackle, certainly, you know, if you have a, a liability at that right tackle position, given that we play in a league where you have guys like Von Miller and Justin Houston and, and many, many other elite pass rushers rushing from the, the left side of the defensive line, which is the right side of the offensive line, you can't have bad right tackle play. It's not like it used to be back in the day where you had an elite player on your left side of your offensive line and then sort of this big, slow, plotting run blocker on the right side. That doesn't cut it. You need to have a left tackle, capable right tackle nowadays, uh, given the quality of pass rushers. So, um, you know, in a vacuum, um, I would prefer an interior guy, but I certainly would not be say no to a, a quality offensive tackle if, if if that's the case to replace Ryan Schrader potentially. Um, Jay Carson at Jay Carson one five one five six on Twitter asks: Are the Falcons locked into the fifth year for Vic Beasley, or could they still waive him? I was not sure how that worked once the club exercises the fifth year option. No way they want to pay him fourteen million next year. So I, I tried to look up some of the details to, to get you guys an idea. Basically, for those of you the uninitiated, uh, all first round picks automatically have a fifth year option. Um, in their contracts, which basically means teams after their third years in the league. So for a 2015 pick, it would have been this past offseason. Um, after the third years in the league, teams have the right to exercise a fifth-year option, which you know adds a fifth year to the contract because everybody signs four-year contracts when you're a rookie, and the first-round picks have the option for a fifth year. Uh, the team has an option for a fifth year. And the Falcons did exercise their option on Vic Beasley this past offseason. They will have to make a decision about Keanu Neal next offseason, which I'm sure they will exercise that option as well. And then the following year, they'll have to make a decision about Tack McKinley. Um, so basically, the fifth-year option makes it really hard for you to get out of the contract. It's guaranteed for injury automatically. And as I explained on yesterday's episode, basically, if a guy ends the season on IR or doesn't pass his year in physical uh, basically that kicks in, that kicks in the guarantees right that, at that point. So basically that guy gets his money in, in the event of an injury. Um, the issue with the fifth year option is that if you're on the roster on the first day of the league year, which I looked up for 2019 is March 13th, um, that, that salary becomes fully guaranteed, which means you're, you're pretty much automatically going to get it. Um, so really the Falcons can't really get out of the contract because they can, they can only trade him before that, that league year, but technically you're not allowed to trade guys until the league year starts. So I, I guess you could agree to terms on a trade prior to that. We've seen that in previous years, like the Alex Smith trade um, last year. And uh, you could, you can agree to a trade, but basically if, if a team is going to trade for Vic Beasley, uh, that fifth year option is basically, you know, maybe not saying calling it an albatross is, is the right way of saying it, but it's a thing that you're not going to be able to get rid of. So the team that trades for him is going to be, have to be willing to take on that, that money, which 
if I if I'm not mistaken, is actually not going to be 14 million. That's the amount that you would pay for a defensive end. But I think because Vic Beasley's spent the bulk of his career as a linebacker, it's only going to be 12.8 million. So the Falcons do save like 1.4 million dollars. So I, that's a positive, I guess. But um, I could be wrong on that. But uh, from what I understand, it's not going to be the 14. Point two million that a DN would get, and rather it's going to be twelve point eight million. Um, but basically, you know, you could trade Vic Beasley now, and a team could then presumably work out a, a new contract or get him to lower his contract. Or you know, you could work out a deal come February or early March, and basically the team then agree to be like, we'll take on Vic Beasley now, and then we'll work on a on a, on a contract. Um, that lowers his cap hit or whatever, or you could just only trade him to a team that has basically 14 million or 12 mil, 12.8 million to spend on a, on a, on an edge rusher, which I don't think is likely. So, in all likelihood, if I was a betting man, I would probably say that Vic Beasley is going to be a Falcon in 2019. We just got to hope that uh, he plays better. Tracy Edwards at Vic Tracy Ed. Uh, his question is, I know you are from the Carolinas, and I also know that you are a connoisseur of hot wings. I am visiting Greenville, South Carolina this weekend. Got any favorite wing spots there? Well, Tracy, I'm sorry to disappoint you. I've never been to Greenville, so I can't necessarily recommend the place. I am not technically from the Carolinas, for those of you that are curious. I know like there's four of you that are. I am originally from Virginia. I'm from the Newport News, the home of Michael Vick, home of Allen Iverson. Uh, that Tidewater Hampton Roads area, which is also home to guys like Alonzo Mourning, Plaxico Burris, D'Angelo Hall, Mike Tomlin, Tyrod Taylor, David Wright, the Upton Brothers, and many, many more other great athletes as well. Uh, but I have lived in the Raleigh-Durham area of North, North Carolina for the last 12 years. I've never been really able to venture down to South Carolina other than driving through it on my way to Georgia or Florida over the last couple of years. But I did do a a quick little Google search, um, and it does seem like, you know, you might want in Greenville, South Carolina, if you don't want to go to a chain like Wingstop or Zaxby's or Buffalo Wild Wings, you might want to hit up a place called M&J's or another place called Wings on the Run. Um, But if anybody else out there is more familiar with the Greenville, South Carolina area and possible wing joints, maybe... I'm sending you to a bad place. They just got good Google reviews, so I'm assuming that they're they're good to go for you, Tracy. Um, Tracy's Twitter is at Vic Tracy Ed V I C T R A C Y E D. So hit up Tracy on Twitter so he can get himself some quality wings in Greenville, South Carolina, and, and tag me in it just in the event that I find myself future uh, in the future in Greenville and, and need to get my wing fixed. Uh, as well. So there you have it, guys. That is uh, another Q- Q&A in the books. I'll leave it off with here. Um, something I've been thinking about quite a bit this past week, and we'll have to sort of see how things uh, continue to play out. Um, but it, it is weird to me sort of how the similarities between this season and 2013 are, um, how eerily similar things are sort of lining up. So we'll have to see if the Falcons, unlike that team, were able to figure it out. Uh, I'm, I'm sure many of you longtime listeners have heard me uh, tell tale of, of Brian Robisky and, and why he single-handedly doomed the 2013 season. But, uh, you know, that'll be something that, you know, maybe we get to the bye week, we, we can explore a little bit further uh, as the season wears on. So 
that is something that is on my mind. We'll have to sort of see how things continue to play out and whether or not this regime can get this season back on track as opposed to that former regime um, who really, you know, we had to suffer through basically another month of bad Falcons football, even worse Falcons football after like a one in five start um, uh, before things started to get back to normal. So hopefully that's not the case this year. But that has been something that I've been thinking about and I will continue to think about until I decide to share it on this podcast uh, at a later date. So anyway, if you want to ask questions for next week's Q&A, you can do so on Twitter. I'm at Falcfans. If it's podcast related, just indicate so in the tweet. But if it is podcast related, just go ahead and send it over to Locked on Falcons. That is the show's Twitter handle. Of course, you can check us out on Facebook. Locked on Falcons is the name of the Facebook page. If you prefer email, LockedOnFalcons at Mail.com is the email address. And, of course, you can leave a comment at Falcfans.com where the show is posted daily. And we will be back Monday with a rapid reaction to this week's uh game against the Buccaneers, and then we'll be back Tuesday with another recap Wednesday, another crossover preview for that Monday night game coming up with with the Giants. Thursday, I think we'll probably have a fan talk, and then Friday will probably be the other Q&A, and then uh, I guess we'll do something. I don't know what we're going to do Monday, uh, because it's, you know, that Giants game is a Monday night game, if I'm not mistaken. Let me actually correct that. I don't want to sit here and be completely wrong. Um, but, but, but yes, it is a Monday, the 22nd. Yes. Um, so we'll do something. I guess we might do another preview for that Monday, but if you guys have suggestions, I'm all ears, um, for what you want to hear Monday morning when you, uh, are on your commute on the 22nd going into that giants game. And then of course that week will be a little bit of a shorter week, um, with our rapid reaction on Tuesday as opposed to Monday. So. Uh, that's the plan right now. Uh, obviously, there is a bye week after that, and so I, you know, all those places I just mentioned. Please provide your feedback on what you want to hear during the bye week, because right now I don't have anything planned. I'll just probably just get on here and just talk about something for twenty to thirty minutes each uh, each episode during that week. But uh, I'm all ears. So send in your your suggestions for. Potential content, of course, we might do many. We we went, we might wind up doing like four or five Q and A's that week, so that's a possibility as well. So uh, definitely, you want to, you know, stay locked on, as they say. But until then, you are locked on Falcons, your daily Atlanta Falcons podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day.